Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we're coming to you on this Sunday, a, a weird day for us to uh, be releasing an episode, but it's a bonus episode and we are here to discuss the BFI Flare London LGBTIQ Plus Festival. Yes, uh, so you're welcome for an extra episode. <laughs> Three this week. Uh, I know, yeah. Well, how, I mean... How fortunate. Within a week, four, technically. Yeah, yeah. You're very, very lucky people. Very lucky. Uh, but today, we're, we're, we're doing things properly. We're, we're talking about some new films, some good films, um, some important films, I yeah. feel, as well. Yeah, so a bit of background. The BFI Flair used to be known as the London Lesbian and Gay Film Festival. Uh, it's the big, the biggest LGBTIQ plus film festival in Europe. Uh, it takes place every spring in London and this year online. Yes, yeah, and we were very fortunate to have been asked, well, to be allowed, <laughs> asked, uh, to have been allowed to um, watch these films. Yeah, and provide Spotify coverage. Yes. As well as everything else that we're available on. So... Uh, yeah, so you may recall we also um, covered the BFI London Film Festival back in October. Uh, this is, again, on the same brand. Uh, very much us diving into the other part of our name, of Horacult Trashua. And, uh, yeah, let's just get into it. So, the first film we watched was Jump Darling. Uh, release date to be confirmed. Pretty much all of these have release dates to be confirmed, but some of them have been released in other places, and I know we have a lot of listeners outside of the UK, so I've included some of those release dates as well this time. Uh, directed by Phil Connell, and starring Cloris Leachman, Thomas Duplessis, Daniel Jeune, and Linda Cash. And the plot is a rookie drag queen reeling from a breakup, skips to the country where he finds his grandmother in steep decline, Yet desperate to avoid the local nursing home. Yeah, I enjoyed this one. It yeah. was a good film to start. Love Cloris Leachman. Love to see her. Um, unfortunately, she died earlier this year. Yeah. Um, so it was a nice final film for her. She, she was one of these actresses that could do comedy and drama. Yeah. And do both so well. And this uh, role for her, she did both. And she she was great. She really yeah, was. Yeah, she, she was absolutely a scene stealer. Every scene she was in, she was just commanding that screen. And she had so many uh, like sassy comebacks and such. And it was nice because it kind of delved into the lead character. And, uh, and Thomas... Duplessis' performance in particular, as you start to see the similarities between the two, um, and it makes you believe they're related and they, they shared really great chemistry. Yeah, yeah, I thought they did as well. I think it maybe had a little too much going on to fully get involved in the themes, uh, but I, I really dug it. Uh, yeah. yeah. The cinematography was fantastic as well, um, especially there's a lot of uh, drag performance scenes and they were really, really well shot. Uh, like even there's one scene where he's just in the bar on his own doing a performance, and it's still it's shot like, like a really really good music video. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was really well made. So moving on to yeah, I'd absolutely check that out. By the way. Yeah, so you... yeah, I I would say definitely check that out, especially if you're Clarice Leachman fan. Yes. Next up was my favorite of the festival. Uh, it was Mama Gloria. A release date to be confirmed. Directed by Lashina Fisher. 
they didn't really give a short synopsis for this on IMDb, more of a backstory, and I think that's quite important anyway to make people aware of what this is about. Uh, so, Chicago's black transgender icon, Gloria Allen, blazed a trail for trans people like few of us before her. Born in 1945, she grew up uh, amid the celebrated black sissy balls on Chicago's south side and transitioned after high school with the love and support of the women in her family. Her mother, Alma, a former showgirl, and Jet Centerfold, who taught her about makeup, and her grandmother, Mildred, a seamstress who designed clothes for her. Gloria overcame traumatic violence to become a proud leader in her community. Most famously, she pioneered a charm school for young transgender people that served as an inspiration for the hit play Charm. And now in her 70s, Gloria is aging with joy and grace at a time when black transgender women in America face escalating violence and make up the majority of transgender people killed each year. Um, and, and yeah, and that's just a brief summary of her life. Absolutely watch the documentary to see the rest of it because this is one of the best documentaries I've seen in a while. It's so good. Um, very much a case of me going in, not knowing a lot about, uh, about the subject of the film and coming away and feeling like I knew everything. Yeah, uh, I find with documentaries um, probably more than um, fictional films, uh, um, I find that the subject matter is important. You know, I wouldn't watch a documentary on the Premier League Championship, but other people would and enjoy it. So in regards to this documentary, I absolutely loved Mama Gloria. I thought she was such a compelling person to have a documentary made about her. I think these sort of documentaries are extremely important because I'd never heard of her. No. I'm sure many people had never heard of her, but she's had one of those lives that absolutely needs celebrating and needs a film like this. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it's great that this and a few other documentaries, it probably isn't going to be the only time you hear me saying this on this episode, but this and a, a few other documentaries that are included with BFI Flair contain um, subject matters where it's people that have had such a huge impact on the LGBT plus community uh, to the point that, you know, those are the people that are responsible for the fact that we can be out and proud these days. You know, we wouldn't be sitting here telling you we're two gay men on a podcast if it wasn't for these people, you know, standing up for LGBT rights and the community. And it's great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And and with Mama Gloria, she was someone who was just... Uh, she's still alive, excuse me. Uh, but she's just someone who's being true to herself. Yeah. She's just living her life the way that she wants to. Um, she felt, you you know, it was her nature to help these other transgendered women uh, at this charm school. Because first and foremost for her, it was always about being a lady and earning the respect as any other lady would, mm. no matter, you know, what gender they were born as. And uh, she's just such a real nice, charming woman. Um, her family are great as well. I love yeah. the chemistry she had with her cousins. And yeah, I just, I, I, when the film ended, I, I just, um, 
I, I felt a little lighter and happier. It's you know? very optimistic documentary. Very optimistic documentary. Very optimistic. I mean, you know, it obviously touches on some of the trouble she had in her past, but it literally it touches on it, but it touches on it enough to make you aware of the struggles that you know black transgender people have had to go through. But it doesn't overtake the documentary to make it negative. You know, it it does make you feel optimistic still. Yeah, because her strength and her will helped her along the way. Yeah. And, you know, I, I hope that she's living a happy life. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those films where, you, you know, you I kind of want a follow-up. I want to know what she's up to. Yeah. Uh, and, and, again, you know, it is so important that stories like this are being told, um, no matter what form of media is used to tell these stories but you know through this documentary it's a great platform to tell this story and you know we need more of it yeah yeah and we need to go out there and find these things yeah. and support these types of films and you know if there's a book i'll probably buy that as well so going from the best of the festival to the worst of the festival oh. um <laughs> Disclaimer, you know, we, we fully support indie filmmakers. This isn't us trying to drag anyone down, but we are critics in our own right. And that's why we do this podcast. So, <laughs> we do have to be honest. Um, yeah. Enfant Terrible. <laughs> Great name. Um, it's already been released in Germany and Russia. And other release dates are to be confirmed. Directed by Oscar Roller. Um... Forgive me if I've pronounced that wrong, but I, I swear I say pronounce it. Uh, starring Oliver Masuki, Harry Prinz, Katya Riemann, and Felix Hellman. And the life and impact of iconic German New Wave director Rainer Werner Fassbinder. Start us off, Chris. So I'm a fan of Fassbinder's work. He was a very prolific director during the late 60s and 70s. Uh, he made many films uh, during that period, um, sort of one after the other, just throwing them out there. And the majority of his work is held in extremely high esteem. Um, very influential. Um, he was, you know, an, an openly gay man and he, that, he brought that into his films as well. So he was very much groundbreaking as a director. So I was so intrigued by a documentary on his life. A documentary. Biopic. Biopic, excuse me, on his life. Um, I'd heard that he was a difficult character, that he wasn't the nicest of directors... Um, but this film, fucking hell, it was so one note. Yeah, it, you know, if you watched this and you knew absolutely nothing about him like I did, you'd think that there was not a single nice thing about him. Um, because it never showed that side to him. It was just constantly him being horrible to everyone around him. And, and that made me question how necessary this biopic was, because... I mean, you know, you, you making a biopic about someone, you've got to have some sort of redeeming qualities in there about them. That's why we're not seeing biopics about fucking Hitler. You know, it's... You, if you're making a biopic, you have to have something in there that makes you want to root for the subject matter, at least. Um, 
I'm not sure if I agree with that. What I would say is, is if you're going to, if your message is that Fassbinder was an asshole, a complete twat, you've got to have layers in there. Yeah. you got to look at, so why is he a twat? Yeah. Where is this coming from? Why does he treat people this way? And you've just got to be a bit broader in your scope. So you you got to have a full biopic, whereas this biopic only really dealt with him as a director, which in his lifetime, he died quite young um, in the early 80s. So it, within his lifetime, this is only a 10 to 15 year span. Mm. You know, it's it's half his life, but all the film does is a cycle of him filming a film which I, I don't know if it was meant to come off as parody or not, but it made some of his films look shit. It looked like a parody. It looked like a parody. It, it looked sh- really like his films were awful, which they are not. And then it, he would have <laughs> sex with someone randomly, but it, it wouldn't be particularly graphic. It felt like they were trying to be uh, boundary-pushing in its depiction of gay sex, mm. but the, they didn't quite go far enough. No. So it, it came off quite stilted. It was like, oh, trying to be saucy, but not really. Um, and then, so you would have him being an arsehole, him having sex with someone, um, and then him having some sort of breakdown. Uh, and then cocaine. And with cocaine. And then you would have that again and again and again. Freddie Mercury's on it. Freddie Mercury, a terrible impersonator of Freddie Mercury, who clearly wasn't English, so didn't speak, um, was in it, but dressed in the yellow jacket. So I don't, I don't think Freddie Mercury went round throughout the whole seventies. Yeah, but that's like not that. even a seventies outfit. He didn't wear that until the, the second 80s. time they played Wembley Stadium in the eighties. Yeah. So <laughs> I would probably say Fassbinder was probably dead by the time yeah. Freddie Mercury wore that outfit. <laughs> but um it, it really it was just te- it was really awful, I have to say the, it was awful. What do you have to say about the uh lead casting choice? The lead um I've people have said that Essentially, what happened is that Fassbinder died when he was in his early 30s. Yeah. Uh, the man that they got, the actor, excuse me, that they got to play him in the film is in his mid-50s. <laughs> and very clearly in his mid-50s. And he plays Fassbinder from his 20s to his death. It is jarring. It's so weird. Because I, I know... I knew what Fassbinder looked like. I knew what he looked like. So he got... He looked like him, but as a 50-odd-year-old man, which apparently was a deliberate choice um, to reference Fassbinder's uh, live-fast-die-young mentality. Yeah, it didn't work. It didn't work. It, it didn't work. It, re- it was very jarring... Um, Fassbinder had struggles with his weight through a lot of his life, um, but the film seemed intent on showcasing uh, a large stomach yeah. throughout the whole film. Yeah, they definitely made a point of it. They made a huge point of it. Like, oh, look, this grotesque character in his big fat belly. Yeah. Uh, what did work was 
the film sets. Yeah, um, the sets did work. I like the setup of it, the way it looked like a stage play. Um, yeah. You know, the very fake-looking backgrounds and the neon cinematography. I think that really worked and really belonged in a much better film. Yeah, well, it, it, well, it does, because it's, it's, a lot of it was a reference, reference to Fassbinder's yeah. work. Yeah. So it did appear in better work. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, I really hope, I, I think people who don't know about Fassbinder's work or life will really struggle with the film to even understand what's going on. And I, I do hope that if anybody watches it, they're not completely put off watching any of Fassbinder's work. Um, I would personally recommend watching um, Ali, Fear Eats the Soul. Yeah. Uh, start from there, because um, that's a fantastic film. That's a f- that is a, a masterpiece. So next up, we had My First Summer, uh, which has already been released in Brazil and Australia. It's an Australian film. Uh, ever released it's to be confirmed directed by Katie Found starring Markella Kavanagh Maya Stewardson Arthur Angel and Catherine Tonkin and the plot is 16 year old Claudia has grown up in isolation from the outside world stranded on a remote property after her mother's death she is shocked when Grace a spirited local teen appears in the garden like her mirage a breath of fresh sugary air sugary air thank you very much for that Insert of that word at the end of the <laughs> synopsis that threw me off. <laughs> um, it's alright. Yeah, it's alright. It's alright. It's um, a film that I think a lot of people enjoyed more than we did. Um, I appreciated it more than I enjoyed it. I appreciated the fact that this is very much a, uh, a woman's film about women. And it does deal with their story... Very sensitively, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it, it it tells the story really well. I just felt like something was missing. It to me, if I'm being perfectly honest, it felt like a story I'd seen a hundred times before, and done better. Yeah, not 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 the the um, homosexual aspect to it. But I felt like that kind of the outsider story, you know, dealing mm. with issues with their mum, you know, all that. I felt like I'd seen all that before. And it. I found some of the film quite bland in places. Um, almost like it was trying to be a Taylor Swift music video. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know, that yeah. sort of style in that. I, I don't know. It was something was just a little off for me. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. acted very well. Oh, the actors did a great job. I thought I thought the, the the two main actresses and it's really their story. Yeah. Um. Everyone else, you know, did perfectly fine. Um. But they're the only ones that had any really weighty mm. things to do. And I I thought the two and and young actresses as well. I thought they did very well. Yeah. Yeah. No. It it it's a film I would still say to watch. Um. Yeah, it was just, it didn't really, other than setting it in just strictly a woman's space, um, you know, these two girls, they were the centre of your story. Everyone else had such minor roles that they might as well have not been there. This is, you know, two lesbian characters at the centre of this story. You know, I, I, I really appreciate the fact that that is, you know, a story being told. 
and the story being told well, because at least it was better than Army Night. Um, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, there, there was definitely something missing from it. Yeah, it just I just don't think it had. Um, I'm gonna. It's gonna sound stupid, and uh, you know I'm not a paid critic, but it didn't have that zhuzh. I th- I wanted a zhuzh. I wanted to, just a little bit more exciting. And we are a podcast that provides you a film each week that provides plenty of zhuzh. Zhuzh. Recently, you may have recalled we spoke about The Toolbox Murders, a film with lots of zhuzh. That had no zhuzh. <laughs> I wanted some zhuzh. Killer Barbies versus Dracula had lots of zhuzh. That did have no, that, no, that a very mild zhuzh. It was not completely zhuzh worthy. <laughs> Moving on to a film with lots of zhuzh, we are talking about Cured. Release date to be confirmed, directed by Patrick Salmon and Bennett Singer. Cured takes viewers inside the campaign that led to a pivotal yet largely unknown moment in the struggle for LGBT equality. The American Psychiatric Association's 1973 decision to remove homosexuality from its list of mental illnesses. Combining eyewitness testimony with newly unearthed archival footage... The film reveals how a small group of impassioned activists achieved this unexpected victory. This one started off quite hard to watch. It was this archive footage was pretty fucking strong, weren't it? Yeah, yeah, and it, it's. I think what's quite shocking about these sort of stories is that it wasn't actually that long ago. Oh, I know. You think it's, in a, it's within our within a lifetime? You exactly. Know, people you know, are still alive when now. Eyewitness testimonies yeah. you know people yeah. who were there people who had to go through this horrific trauma of um elect electro ele- electro shock yeah. therapy excuse me uh electroshock therapy and i think that's what's most surprising but also scary yeah is that actually we've come a long way in a short amount of time, you know. But mm. we're not we're not quite there yet. We're not a hundred percent there yet. But it it was it was really shocking to think. Oh wow! Actually, if I'd been born at a different time, I would have had to have dealt with this. You yeah. know, this would have been my story. How would I have dealt with this? Yeah. And again, and you're going to hear me say it a few times during the, this episode, is that these are the stories that I want to hear. These yeah. are the stories I want to see. These, you know, are the important documentaries. And I'm so pleased that there was quite an emphasis on documentaries. Yeah, I think the, the festival as a whole covered so many important subjects. Yeah. Um, I, and I think pretty much all of them that needed to be covered yeah. you know this is the history that they do not teach you in school yeah unfortunately we have to go out of our ways well, to what's... tell and to hear these stories yeah i mean what's really good is um bfi flares actually uh, given out free passes to schools as uh, to watch these films that's fantastic it's such a good idea yeah, so good really it's necessary. really what we need um i mean obviously you know with um it's kind of worked out well, really, with this being an at-home festival and obviously schools not being open at the time when it was on as well. So it all worked out quite well. What's shocking is the fact that this documentary 
obviously deals with a lot of conversion therapy um, as well as the electroshock therapy and, you know, being LGBT listed as a mental illness. You know, still to this day, there's debates in the UK as to whether conversion therapy should be banned. Mm. To this day, like, there was petitions last year about this. Yeah. That is fucking insane. And when you watch a documentary and see how little has changed in that aspect, it is shocking. And again, like Chris said, this is why this is such an important documentary to watch. We can learn a lot from history. And we can learn a lot from these people who fought against this. You know, Mm -hmm. if everybody sat there and allowed stuff to happen then we wouldn't be where we are. No. So we're very fortunate that these people fought against this. But also, when it shows you the uh, the footage from back in the day when, you know, this was first... When it first started, when the documentary was first set, and, and you got all these people saying about, you know, the mental illnesses and this electroshock therapy needs to happen and whatnot, mind your fucking business. Like, what d- difference did it make to these people? And obviously still stands to this very day um, with bigotry all round, you know, a- across everything, you know, sexuality, race and whatnot. What fucking difference does it make to these people? What, you know, what who someone falls in love with? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's fucking ridiculous. And it just very much emphasised that. It really much emphasised the fact of how ridiculous these people were who implied these ridiculous measures to anyone who was part of the LGBT community. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's a power thing, isn't it? But yeah, so... Cured, absolutely check it out. And on to Cowboys. Release date to be confirmed. Directed by Anna Kerrigan. Starring Sasha Knight, Steve Zahn... Steve Zahn? Steve Zahn. Gillian Bell and Anne Dad. He's like the most well-known actor I've spoken about so far. I know. <laughs> a troubled but well-intentioned father who has recently separated from his wife runs off with his trans son into the Montana wilderness after his ex-wife's refusal to let their son live as his authentic self. What was really um, admirable about this film was the fact that we actually had a trans actor, a new trans actor, who is a child playing the trans son in the film. And that was... Really refreshing to see. Yeah, it was. Sasha and I did such a fantastic job mm-hmm. in that role. And because it's coming from, you know, someone who is trans, it feels a lot more authentic and a lot more heartfelt. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it, it is a good film. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I, I What I thought was quite refreshing was that it was the mother that was struggling to come to terms with her child's um, being transgendered. Yeah. Um, I thought that was quite refreshing. It, it, so many films and, and TV uh, write the narrative that it's the, the men that have the issue. And, and you know, and that's, that's true in yeah. many cases yeah. uh, in real life. But it, it, was, it was refreshing to see it from the, from the other side and to see the bond that uh, Steve Zane's character had with his son yeah you know i thought it lost it a little bit in the third act um if i was to criticize anything it it felt it felt like a certain decision that was made with steve zane's character led to his performance being a bit hammy and yeah a little off-putting um 
But, you know, everything else before that, I was fully invested. You know, it was quite intense at the start, I found. It was um, really well-paced. Yeah, yeah. It, it Yeah, it definitely struggled by the end. Um, but the first two acts were really good. Yeah, it's absolutely worth checking out. Next up, um, my second favourite I'm going to say at the festival, Colours of Toby. This has already been released in Hungary. Um, we do have some listeners there, so there we go, check it out. We have them all over the place. Um, Every release date is to be confirmed, directed by Alexa Bacconi. There is a tiny village in Hungary where Eva and her family live. Her 16-year-old child recently came out as transgender and lives by his chosen name of Toby. After the initial shock, the whole family comes together to support him. However, Eva is quietly suffocating from the idea of losing the girl she was raising. Toby is determined to become a man biologically, all while he struggles growing up. Eva is trying hard to be the mother her son needs, whilst Toby starts questioning the boundaries he set up for himself as a transgender man. And Colors of Toby is an emotional tale of releasing and accepting. Now, when I first read that premise, I thought, oh God, the parents are going to be unbearable in this, they're going to be so unlikable. Yeah. Absolute opposite. Not at all. Absolute opposite. It's one of those things where... You know, it's it's difficult to come to terms with yourself and, you know, accepting your sexuality or your gender. You know, it's it's a very confusing and difficult time for any person. Um, but obviously, you know, with parents, you're either going to get one or two ways. You're either going to get, you know, people who disown you or people who accept you. But in, in this film, some of the points they were raising actually made sense it didn't feel like they were saying it to be horrible like no. where they were feeling confused that was because they were on the journey with toby and i think that that was just such such a nice refreshing change to, to have someone who you know was just somewhere in the middle and not you know not disowning toby for coming out as transgender and still being a very loving family it, it was really really nice to see yeah, I thought it was uh, quite a, a modern story, actually. Um, obviously, it is, because it was filmed uh, within the last three years. Um, but it was... At, at no point did Toby's family ever threaten to chuck him out of the house. Um, they always tried to be really understanding. I did, <laughs> I thought it was quite funny where the dad was very placid about the whole thing. Yeah. Essentially, you know, he was very much like, yeah, just, you know, do whatever's true to you. Just uh, don't come bothering me too much. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was a nice, it was a nice story about someone trying to discover themselves and discover who they are. And the parents always trying to be as supportive as they can be. Yeah. And... I like the fact that it was a documentary with no interviews or, you know, anything like that. It was literally just a camera following around this family. Yeah. It, it felt very intimate, very personal. Um, and, and I'm glad that, you know, Toby shared their story for for people to see. Because this is something people do need to see. People do need to see the positive experience of, you know, being a transgendered person. Um, you know, it doesn't always work out great for people, but I mean, even for the people it doesn't work out great for, there's something comforting here to know there are accepting people out there, and you know, it's just, it's really great to see. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. 
And it was also nice to to see uh, this from a Hungarian perspective. Um, You know, you you don't really see many stories from outside America or the UK uh, about these sort of subjects. So that was quite refreshing as well. So next up we have Firebird, uh, which is due for release this year, but no specific date just yet. Directed by Peter Rebain, starring Tom Pryor, Oleg Zagorado, Oleg Zagorodoni. Oh my god, I probably mispronounced that. Apologies to anyone listening. Nicholas Watson and Jake Henderson. At the height of the Cold War, a love triangle between a junior officer, his best friend, and a handsome fighter pilot enters dangerous territory. I thought it was good. I thought it was very well made. Yeah. Yeah, um, really I good. think of all the films, this is probably the most potential to get a bigger release. Yeah. I think. Um, I could see it coming to Amazon Prime or, or something like that in the future. I mean, it was a very interesting story. Um, I, I don't... I, I, it's the same problem I probably had with uh, My First Summer, is that I, I just wish it was maybe a little meatier. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Add a little more to it. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was good. I, I genuinely... I I was fully invested in the story from start to finish. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just very much... Just, it's an alright film. And there's, there's not really a lot more to say about it. It's just... It's a good film. It doesn't go any further than good. It's not a masterpiece by any means. It doesn't exactly bring anything new to the table. But it's a good film. It reminded me of a few years ago when we were, were in our first or second year of our relationship. Um, there was a slew. It was like being in the Cold War. No, there was a <laughs> slew of Kira Knightley films that dealt <laughs> with. Uh, they were all stories from the past. Uh, what are they, what oh, story uh, was it? Colette. Colette. Um, the aftermath. The aftermath. Yeah. Another one. It, it was all films that I felt were trying to recapture what Atonement did. Uh, and they all starred Kira Knightley. It very much reminded me yeah. of that, you know, perfectly well acted, perfectly well made, um, an interesting story, but just maybe a little bland. Mm. Yeah, I wish it had wish it had a bit more balls yeah. to it, you know? Well, I mean, there's plenty of that. Um, yeah, there we go. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was good. It was good. Just, yeah, definitely one to check out. Uh, Next up we had (laughs) Boy Meets Boy. Release date to be confirmed. Directed by Daniel Sanchez Lopez. Starring Matthew James Morrison and Alexis Kutsoli. Um, Very much a two-actor film. There wasn't really anyone else in it. Um, of, Of major roles anyway. Harry has been partying for 48 hours when he meets uh, Johannes on the dance floor of a club in Berlin. With 15 hours until his flight home, Johannes offers to help him print his boarding pass. The mundane, this mundane task leads to a day together wandering the city. The, con- this contrasts in, the contrast in their life and values uh, force each one to confront their own truths. Uh, <laughs> I I'll go first. <laughs> I did not like this film at all. Really? This film um was so annoying. 
The characters were so annoying. Um, it reminded me of Twitter. <laughs> and the, the aspects of Twitter that I don't like, <laughs> where some very good-looking people seem to have an opinion on absolutely everything and think that their opinion is the only opinion. And it just drove me insane. It's only an hour long, but it absolutely drove me insane. I hated both these characters. Yeah, I don't understand why they're made to be so unlikable. Like, uh, one scene that comes to mind is when the uh, Jehovah's Witness... Uh, people oh. came up to them and you know everyone has different views we're not religious ourselves um, but if someone comes up to you in the street and you know tries selling something like that to you 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 say no thank you and you move on oh my god they were so fucking rude <laughs> they were so rude to them um, well, no, one of them one was. of them was one of them was so one of them was I don't Johans was it um, yeah, Johannes. Yeah, Johannes. Johannes. So Johannes was really rude to the um, Jehovah's Witness guys. Incredibly rude. Um, he's like, oh well, your religion is against my sexuality. All that business. He's absolutely know? right. He's absolutely right. But you don't start but screaming it in someone's face. Not all of them are right. You know, not not every. You can't tie everyone with the no, same. Yeah, brush. it was very much yeah. You know, because that's what they accuse religions of doing, is tying everyone with the same brush, you know? So, that was, Johannes was a bit, was quite the dick for that. Mm. And then you had a whole conversation between, where Harry was telling Johannes that gay people are not monogamous, never have been, never will be, you know, they will always sleep around, that's our nature... That you know, and that's it. So then Johannes was like, No, I believe in something different. I'm looking for a great love, I'm looking for a monogamous, uh, monogamous relationship. Even though Johannes's boyfriend wasn't monogamous, you say that word enough, it sounds weird. Um, but uh, he, but he was, and that's what he believed in, and he didn't believe that all gay men went around sleeping with everything with a, with a pulse. Okay, you know, a difference of opinion, uh, again, very much reminds me of the discourse on Twitter all the bloody time <laughs> that I don't get uh, from people I find really unrelatable. Uh, <laughs> but then, spoiler alert, because you ain't going to watch it, because I don't want you to watch it. <laughs> spoiler alert, they end up sleeping together. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone knows it's going to happen from the moment yeah, it starts. Yeah, absolutely. But the film starts But with... that's so, so obvious and so lazy writing. Yeah. And it's like, so is Harry correct? Is It's, you know, what is the film trying to say? That all gay people will sleep with the first thing that comes along? Yeah, I mean, everything that's said in this film gets contradicted at least once. Yeah. Everything that's said. The film starts with... A shot of um, Harry taking a picture of his bomb hole. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't get... I mean, that is modern... Well, to a certain degree, that is modern gay culture. Oh, it is. 
It, it really you is. You know, it's Bommel picks on the old grinder. You know, he's by himself in a new city. You know, these... I'm not saying that these people don't exist. You know, that mm. is modern gay culture. Um, but you have this discourse between the two for the whole film. And then the conclusion is... Yeah, actually, yeah. May, may, maybe gay people aren't meant to be in long-term relationships. Maybe that's not the thing. And I'm like, is that the message of your film? You know, what I thought was going to be a nice romantic film, A Day in the Life, of these two people who meet and fall in love, became something different. And it, it sour... Well, it didn't sour it, because um, it was already sour. Um, but it just... Didn't sit well with me. I didn't like no. it. Just didn't like it. It's it's just two people talking for just over an hour and, yeah, not not a lot of uh, interesting things to say. Whenever something interesting is said, they go against it near enough straight after. So yeah, it, yeah, he he was very bland, very very bland. Um, next up we had Rebel Dykes due for release sometime this year with no specific date just yet. Directed by uh, Ar- Harry Shanahan. And Sean A. Williams. Uh, it's a full-length documentary about the explosion that happened when punks met feminism, told through the lives of a gang of lesbians in the riotous London of the 1980s. Another area that isn't covered often and when talking about the LGBT community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, these women... The, the, these lesbians had what people... Even in the... the uh, of a, lesbians thought was an alternative lifestyle yeah you know they really pushed the boundaries and they really didn't give a shit and it's so compelling to see women like this who like do you know what i am who i am fuck off yeah (laughs) essentially if you don't like it fuck off it's got nothing to do with you and you never see this side of britain in any documentaries i mean uh, I've seen a few documentaries about the punk scene in the 70s, and this was never mentioned. Um, it, it feels like a very hidden culture, and, and that's really strange because, you know, um, most of those documentaries were really in-depth and covered a lot of areas, and they were quite a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. The, these women were, you know, absolutely part of the punk scene and doing their own thing that's what punk's about yeah you know i'm not, I'm not a punk uh, but you know why what, what i assume punk is about is about doing your own thing and you know telling anyone who's got a problem with it where they can shove it and these women absolutely did it and they put yeah. it out there for the whole world to see and said you know this is us we're with we're, <laughs> we're here we're queer get over it, you yeah. know? And that, that's... They're the women I like to see, yeah. you know? And, and the men, actually, you know? They're, they're, the, they're the people that I like to see on screen. Yeah, really great documentary. <clears throat> uh, next up was Drama Rama, release date to be confirmed, directed by Jonathan Wysocki, starring Zach Henry, Nico Griefen, Anna Grace Barlow, and Megan Surrey. Uh, in 1994, a clustered teen struggles to part ways with his four high school drama friends at their final murder mystery party before they leave for college. Uh, now, this isn't a film I disliked. I enjoyed it. 
But fuck me, these characters were obnoxious. <laughs> really annoying. Oh my god. I get it. You know, America's very different to the UK. And I think it's films like this where you can really tell. Very grounded films like this that I feel are probably closer to real life um, in America. And oh my fucking god. From the moment it started, they were... This murder mystery part is like a fucking nightmare. They were, and, and the thing is, they were very much the um, sort of Glee mould. Yeah. You know how the majority of the characters in Glee were really, really annoying? Mm-hmm. Um, they were very much like that, but oddly compelling as well. Yeah. It, I don't know how the, the, the filmmakers managed to do it, but actually I was quite enamoured with them by the end. Um you know, a few character decisions weren't weren't the best, and I didn't necessarily agree with them. Um, but I found it quite sweet by the end, and I was quite invested in these horrendously obnoxious characters. Yeah, <laughs> which is you know well done to the filmmakers yeah. for managing that. Um, it it liked to remind you that it was in the nineties every five minutes. That is very true. So many nineties references in one film. That is very very true. What it does is it deals with um, something that Boy Meets Boy tried to do in that one scene we mentioned uh, when it discussed uh, religion and homosexuality. It deals with that more in depth in this film, and I think it does it really well. Yeah, I th- I think it does. Um, I think it leaves it. Uh, I don't. I don't think it fully deals with it. it I feel like it kind of leaves it at a point um, where you know, if a character had made a decision, maybe it would have come out yeah. a bit more. No yeah, pun intended. I, I wasn't happy with a certain decision made at the end. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a it's a good film. Um, it has its moments of being funny. Um, you know. It's a, it can be taken seriously as a drama. It's good. you just got to stick with it and get used to these characters. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Quite and maybe first. it's just our sort of UK mentality where, you know, I, I couldn't imagine ever having a murder mystery party. No. no. I, I just can't imagine people like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they exist, uh, but I struggle to imagine anyone is actually like these characters. And so next up, we have AIDS Diva, The Legend of Connie Norman, uh, release date to be confirmed, directed by Dante Alan Castro. As the season, her power, as she confronts her mortality, trailblazing trans activist Connie Norman evolves as an irrepressible, challenging and soulful voice for the AIDS and queer communities of the early 90s Los Angeles. What a legend. Yeah. Yeah. Connie Norman. Um, ag- again, you know, and I, I'm really pleased that these films uh, were featured uh, during the festival. Um, another person who we ain't taught about in school, you know, uh, someone I wasn't aware of and someone who did a fucking load of really great work yeah. for their community all whilst battling AIDS. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, again, another area that the documentaries of the festival covered 
Um, you don't get a lot of documentaries about um, you know, people suffering from AIDS. We've got a lot more TV shows about it these days. Um, you know, but AIDS awareness is always important, and this documentary does a great job bringing it to the forefront, whilst telling the story of this activist who was a real inspiration. Yeah, so many AIDS narratives are about the sheer number of people that died from AIDS, and the fact that the governments, particularly in America, did absolutely nothing to help. Yeah, and. Which is all very true, you know, and it, it, it is, they are stories that need to be told. But then there's also Connie's story about how, you know, people got together and fought their damn hardest to make a change and to make a difference, you know. And, and it it took a long time, you know, but... She got there, you know, she made progress and her story is important. And we do need to know who Connie Norman was. Absolutely. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And it, it was another short documentary as well. It was very short. Um, I feel it maybe could have gone on a little longer. But saying that, it does still really manage to say, I think it needs to say within that time. Yeah, I I find throughout sort of, cultural history the these lgbtqi um store i plus stories are centered around white men mm. you know and that's not to say people like harvey milk didn't do a massive amount for gay rights but you know they're the stories that we've been seeing Sean Penn won an Oscar for playing Harvey Milk. You know, where's where who's playing you know, Connie Norman in a film? You know, we want to see that. Yeah. We want we want to see these stories as well. Just because Connie was a transgendered woman doesn't mean that her story wouldn't make for a fantastic Oscar worthy yeah. film. Absolutely. You know? And moving on to someone else who, who could also do with having a film made about them. Uh, no Ordinary Man. Release date 2nd of April in Canada. Uh, to be confirmed everywhere else. Directed by Eileen Chin Yi and Shai Joint. No Ordinary Man is an in-depth look at the life of musician and trans culture icon Billy Tipton. Complicated, beautiful and historically unrivaled. This groundbreaking film shows what is possible when a community collaborates to honour the legacy of an unlikely hero. This was shocking because it, here we have a uh, musician that was transgendered. No one knew. He, you know, he was outed without his consent. And instead of celebrating the fact that, you know, this iconic musician was transgendered, the papers and the media immediately took to bad-mouthing him all over the place. Oh, yeah. Um, so we talk about telling a story. This is retelling yeah. a story. Yeah. And this giving us, right. you know, and setting it straight. Um, essentially, Billy Tipton's story was pure tabloid fodder. Yeah. 
you know, uh, married for 20 years uh, to, to a woman, um, died quite suddenly, and the paramedics informed Billy Tipton's um, adopted son that he was actually transgendered. And the son didn't know up until that point. Mm. You know, scandalous story for the tabloids. It happened in, in 1989. Yeah. You know, all over the news. And this documentary set about and, and succeeded in actually telling the story of Billy Tipton, the, you know, great musician, mm-hmm. the great husband and father rather than Billy Tipton, you know, the transgendered man from that scandalous story back in the late 80s. Mm. Um, really important and really important to understand Billy's legacy as a musician. Um, a lot of the um, interviewees in the documentary talk about Billy Tipton actually being a trans hero. Yeah, and, and pretty much all the interviews are with transgender people as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's nice, you know, getting it from that perspective. Um, I thought the interviews with his son were really great as well. Yeah. I mean, some of the things that are said, you know, I, I don't believe his wife didn't know. No. I, I think that's bullshit. But I also don't think the documentary... It wants to give an opinion on that. No. You know, that is part of the story. Yeah. It has to be addressed. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's the tabloid fodder side of it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, whereas I didn't think that the, the documentary wanted us to have an opinion on it. No. Uh, what they wanted was to showcase Billy's incredible talent and... Yeah. Um, nature. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's refreshing to see a documentary about a musician within the LGBT plus community. Um, it's not often you see something like this, is it? No, no, it's that's true. I I do I do hope that this. I would absolutely. Uh, I don't know. I would love to see a feature film made of yeah. Billy's life, but I would be wary. Of it becoming uh, maybe a little salacious mm. towards certain parts. Um, I think I feel, a film like, have you ever seen Boys Don't Cry? No. Boys Don't Cry is a fantastic film and I actually think it deals with a very similar subject in a, in a good way. So if, if it dealt with it properly um, and not a scandal way... Yeah then um, I would love to see that story yeah, told absolutely. On, on the big screen. Next up, we have P.S. Burner's Letter, Please, uh, release date to be confirmed, directed by Michael Seligman and Jennifer Teixeira. When a cachet of letters written by 1950s New York drag queens was discovered in 2014, filmmakers Michael Seligman and Jennifer Teixeira uh, tracked down the authors to hear their story. This is your favourite. This was my favourite from the festival. Loved this. Yes, it's another documentary. Um, but it, it was a really fun documentary. Yeah. It was, um, I found the 
people involved to be so compelling and so interesting mm. and funny and fabulous. And uh, the filmmakers had done a really nice job of getting some um, old photos and yeah. uh, finding the letters. And um, it was really well made. Uh, fortunately, there were a fair few of the uh, female impersonators still alive. Yeah to interview and I just I found their story so compelling and so interesting I would love a film to be made of this oh yeah that would just be such fun yeah and you know a lot of people nowadays when they think of the drag community they very much think of uh, RuPaul's Drag Race which is great you know RuPaul's done a great job of um, bringing drag to the masses you know drags mainstream now thanks to RuPaul but it's nice to watch something like this that looks at you know the drag community or you know the female impersonator community as something like to you know have it referred to as uh, from a very different time and it, it really is so fascinating yeah it, it really it really is and it, it's so it, it's it's quite lengthy the film isn't yeah it? um but it, it's so interesting to see again you know, the history of what has brought us to where we are now. Yeah. You know, the majority of these female impersonators played to a straight audience. Yeah. It wasn't what it is now. Um, and it's taken a long time for the art form to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And these the people involved you know these female impersonators in this documentary started all that yeah and i, I think a lot of it uh, some of it you know you might even recognize from pose i think it was referenced uh once or twice within the show uh, a few storyline uh yes points. yeah so so yeah it was around sort of there were inklings of uh, like pageants and mm. then which became balls and yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and you know it's really great to see that still being referenced in modern culture and this is absolutely a documentary isn't a must watch easily yeah yeah I would absolutely say that I, I hope it gets a good release because I, I thought it was fascinating next up we have The Greenhouse Release date, to be confirmed, directed by Thomas Wilson White, starring uh, Rhonda Findleton, Jane Watt, Camilla Arkin, and Kirsty Marillia. In a very bizarre... I didn't find myself saying this in this episode. I know. In a very bizarre series of events, this is the actual uh, plot of the film. Grieving the death of her mother, Lillian, Beth Tweedy Bell wakes one night to find a portal to the past in the forest surrounding her family home. Swept away by visions of her idyllic upbringing with her three siblings and two loving mums, Beth becomes mesmerised by the past and able to see the dangers that lie ahead. <laughs> I didn't get it. This film was fucking bonkers. <laughs> uh, I... I... Wow, yeah. It's, I, it's difficult to talk about because this is bizarre. Yeah, I really struggled with it. I struggled to figure out exactly what they were doing or what they were saying. Well, I mean, very much it's, it's about the story of uh, acceptance and grieving, right? It's, it's a simple drama 
very, you know, it looks like a simple drama. It, it's very much, you know, you think it's just an average film about this about this family story, right? But but then she finds a portal that takes her back to the past, so she can relive um, sad events. And when she's not reliving these sad events, the family are all shouting at each other. I it was strange. Very strange. I think it was very ambitious. Um, some might say pretentious, but I say ambitious. I think there was a lot of great intentions there. To take a premise like that and even try and make it. But it did not work. No. It was just... It just looked out of place. Did not need a portal in this film. It could have. It could have been done through maybe you know reading some old letters, looking at some old photographs, and having flashbacks. That yeah, that's fine. That's fine. You got yourself an average drama there. That's that's great. But including this, almost sci-fi elephant to uh, elephant Elephants. element to it. The elephant in <laughs> the room. And then having the audacity to turn into a horror film at the end. It was fucking weird. I think the metaphor was clunky from the get-go. Yeah. And it just got clunkier as it went on. Um, yeah. I just... I wasn't I wasn't interested by the end in, in the characters or the story. No. Sorry. I just... I just don't know what was going through their minds when they <laughs> put this together. Um, but yeah, as I said in the third act, it does turn into a horror film. And it, it makes me some rather laughable... Seems. Well, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that they ended up fighting themselves <laughs> in the past, which the, the, the effects weren't great. No. But, no. you know, actually physically fighting themselves <laughs> when they go into this greenhouse, it takes them to the past. Like, come on, mate. Just like a foot of a metaphor. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yeah. We get it. Yeah. It's something. It's something. <laughs> Next up, we had my favourite non-documentary film at a festival, Sweetheart. Release date to be confirmed. Directed by Marley Morrison, starring Nell Barlow, Joe Hartley, Ella Ray Smith and Sofia Di Martino. Uh, a socially awkward, environmentally conscious teenager named AJ is dragged to a coastal holiday park by a painful, painfully normal family where she becomes unexpectedly captivated by a chlorine-smelling, sun-loving lifeguard named Isla. Uh, this had a moody teenager dressed like Leon Gallagher and was set on a caravan holiday at a holiday park. It's the most British film I've ever seen in my entire it life. It is the... So British and so relatable. Anyone... In the UK, who has ever been on a Butlins or a Haven or Pontins family holiday where the weather ain't that great, <laughs> uh, there's not really much to do and you're stuck in a very small <laughs> caravan with your family will understand exactly. I genuinely, I said to Chris when we were watching it, this film had me feeling nostalgic, and it's a film that is being, you know, released in the near future. So it's a brand new film, and I felt nostalgic watching it because it took me right down memory lane. I was that exact kid, you know, going on holidays to Skegness and caravans uh, when I was a kid, and this is, it gets it spot on. It is so accurate. 
it genuinely felt like it could, apart from the mobile phones, it felt like it could have been set in the nineties. Yeah, it was. It was giving me proper. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's probably because I went on these holidays in the nineties, so maybe yeah. that's why. But that's realistic. We live down the road from Blackpool, and Blackpool never changes. No, the, the, no these seaside, you know, holiday places in in the UK, they they never. They never modernise themselves. They, they, they never get up to present day, do they? And no. that's why they're so great. Um, you know, that that bit of trash is always there. You know, a bit of tackiness. And because it, it feels like you're going back in time to... This film should have had the fucking portal. Um, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you feel like you're going back in time to the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, and it's great. And I, I really can't believe how well they captured that atmosphere in this film. But also, and I think this is something you said as well, Chris... The, the fact that it feels like an American film, but trapped in a British body. Yeah. <laughs> and it works. Yeah, it does. Like Sex Education, the, yeah. the Netflix show. Exactly. So much like it's Sex like, Education. It's like Sex Education meets uh, Lady Bird. Yeah. So like how Sex Education, which is a great series, which I recommend everyone watch on Netflix, how that kind of has to feel like it could be set in any decade... Doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and the fa- the fashions as well. Um, but it, it's kind of a universal story. Um, we're all, we all go through an awkward phase when we're teenagers. We all go through a phase where we don't think that our parents understand us, you know, um, as LGBTQI uh, plus um, individuals. We all have struggled with the idea of us you know sexuality or you know um our identity really and this is exactly what this film's about but it's i I don't know i think it was more funny because the dialogue was so quintessentially british as well yeah it it felt like watching a american teen movie but someone going up to a bar and asking for a Fanta. <laughs> or, you know. Um, I just, I thought it was great. I thought it was, re- I thought the characters were really compelling. I liked the idea that um, the, the main character, I forget her name, it was AJ. AJ. AJ was actually probably her own worst enemy. Yeah. And I thought it was so compelling and, and interesting to see because I actually kind of felt for her mum. Mm. Uh, her mum was just trying her best. Um, at no point did her mum say she had any issue with her being a lesbian. Um, so I think maybe that's what annoyed her the most. Because she was trying to be yeah. edgy. Yeah. She was kind of hoping that someone would have an issue with it. Which I just found really interesting. And I like the fact that it, the film wasn't there to just focus on the fact that she was a lesbian. Like no. you said, her mum was accepting. And yeah. It, that part felt, you know, so naturally joined onto the story that it, it just didn't feel like a big deal. No. Um, yeah, and, and the cast all do such a great job. You can tell they've they've definitely been on those sort of holidays with the way they're acting and everything. Um, I thought the romance was really sweet um, as well between um, between AJ and Isla. Yeah, I just I just really really loved it. Joe Hartley was um, dressed like Lisa Scott Lee. She was, she was absolutely giving Lisa <laughs> Scott Lee energy. 
I just, I love these kind of stories, these, um, you know, working class British stories yeah. that I find way more relatable. So many people, when they think of British film or television, they think of Pride and Prejudice and they think of Downton Abbey or they think, you Harry know, Potter. Miss Marple or Harry Potter and such. Uh, when actually the UK is more like Sweetheart or yeah. Mike Lee or Ken Loach films than uh, yeah. it, it, it ever has been. <laughs> yeah. Freaking Downton Abbey. And that's what this reminded me of. Um, that film that we watched... Of Secrets and Lies. Secrets and Lies. It really reminded me of Secrets and Lies in its approach to um, British life. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it had that what, sort of feeling about it. Warts and all, warts and all. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah, so I really recommend this yeah. film. I re- I genuinely do. It was it was so fun and so funny and um, so compelling and interesting as well. I really really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think whereas um, Booksmart is a good milestone for teen comedies uh, with an LGBT side to it. Um, in America, this is very much the British equivalent yeah. of that. I thought it was it was very much Ladybird as well. Like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that brings us to our final film, and now we do have to mention we didn't get to watch every film. There was plenty of other films shown as well that we just didn't get to watch, whether through work commitments uh, or other things. Uh, a selection of short films as well that I believe are up for free on the BFI player. Everyone should go and check those out. Um, but our final film is Rurangi. Uh, already out in New Zealand, uh, over release dates to be confirmed, directed by Max Curry, starring Els Karad, Arlo Green, Kurt Torrance and Ross Harper. After skipping town a decade ago, transgender activist Kaz Davis returns to the remote, politically divided dairy community of Rurangi, hoping to reconnect with his estranged father who hasn't heard from him since before Kaz transitioned. Um, great final film for us to watch, because uh, if we've started and ended... The festival on high points. Yeah, yeah. I um I thought the story was very interesting. I thought it was acted really well. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed the story and what they were saying, and Kaz's story. Yeah. And and his struggles. Um, yeah. It was and it was also very interesting to see it from. Again, another country's perspective. Yeah. You know, this in this case, New Zealand. Um, it's great because you don't really get many opportunities to watch, you know, any film from New Zealand, really. No. Let alone one that is uh, about a transgendered man, you know? Yeah, and what's really impressive is this is uh, Els Carrad's first role. As well, the guy who plays Kaz. Oh, yeah. Um, he did a great job. Yeah, did a really, really good job, considering his first role. Um, yeah, it, 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 is just, it was just a really great film. And again, another really believable romance that was quite unexpected, I found. I, I didn't expect it to go the way it was going with that. Um, it, it just It's just really great storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, I, if there was any fault, I thought that some of the side stories weren't dealt with as thoroughly as maybe I'd hoped. Mm. Um, But other than that, yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of our BFI Flare episode. 
Uh, if you watched any of the films at BFI Fly, let us know on social media. Uh, Horror Court Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horror Court Trash on Twitter. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Like, follow on Epic House. I'm Delight Gaz92 on Letterboxd. Uh, Gazmo205 on Instagram and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. And BFI Fly is a yearly thing. It will be back next year. Uh, I assume in March again. It's absolutely check it out you know it's a really great festival that brings you films that you might not see anywhere else yeah um films that need to be seen hmm. and you know stories that need to be told so it, it, it's really worthwhile uh buying a ticket yeah absolutely uh next well i'll say next week tuesday we will be back doing aquanoids with xander so we will see you on tuesday bye